You're listening to the Just Jazz and Co podcast, the show where you hear the how, why, and what of ambitious careers with me, Just Jazz, and many guests. I'm a multi-passionate, wildly ambitious lover of tea and R&B. I'm also on a mission to guide more high achievers to the careers and lives they deeply desire through coaching. Yep, you heard me. Desire, no shame or secrets about it. Here, we boldly embrace ambition by owning, being, and doing more in our careers. And in each episode, we break down the barriers to creating something that will make you and everyone you know step back in awe while keeping it simple. So what are you waiting for? Let's dive into the episode. Hi folks, welcome to this week's episode of the Just Jazz and Co podcast. Today, I have another guest with me. And this guest I'm very excited to talk to you. You're probably going to get a lot of energy because the last time we probably caught up was probably about a year ago now. It could have been even longer. We've stayed in touch, don't get me wrong, but there's nothing like a good old conversation. Um, Big, big clue. We're going to talk about imposter phenomenon today. Imposter syndrome, imposter feelings, imposter insert word that you like to use for it. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome my guest, Leela Ainge. Hi, Jazz. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Oh, right. Okay. Um, I'm Leela. I'm a psychologist and business consultant. I love that you are both things. (laughs) Um, And that makes sense because I took part in a piece of research that you did um around imposter phenomenon in entrepreneurs specifically and anybody who knows me knows that that's a topic that I love to talk about because I think I've experienced imposter feelings differently in the day jobby than I have in the biz and actually Mm. I don't really experience it very much in the day jobby it's the biz that made it whack me over the top of my head um so yeah Doing both of those things makes sense in terms of that being a topic. But I feel like I'm jumping the gun. I don't want us to start backwards. So (laughs) take us right to the beginning of your journey towards being a psychologist and business consultant. Oh, so I think this says a lot about, you know, my kind of squiggly career, I think. So I started off um, as as a kind of application consultant in the IT industry. So I supported really old mainframe systems and I wasn't particularly good at it. So they shifted me into change (laughs) management. Um, And that's where I started my consultancy career. So I worked um, doing some really big consultancy projects with cable and wireless and big councils, contact centers, that kind of stuff. And did that kind of thing for, you know, the first 10, 15 years of, of my career really and really enjoyed it I still really enjoy it I still really enjoy project management um, working with teams and getting people to perform well so mm. last year for example um, I put in a maternal mental health service for the NHS so still consultancy type of work still project management um, but with that kind of psychological edge because it was a trauma-informed service so mm. I started my career in consultancy and along the way what I've done is been very intentional about taking on contracts that would give me insights into different areas. So I've worked in utilities, I've worked in uh, railways, in telecoms, in local government, in police. 
policing. And it was all very intentional to kind of get that breadth and depth of knowledge across different industries so that at some point I could be at that point where I go, I get to choose what I do. And actually, Mm. I'm not just a, a one kind of trick pony. I can do lots of different things or I want to be able to apply my thinking in lots of different areas. I think one of the really um, interesting things is that people will obviously say about me, oh, you're you're a bit of a polymath or that you, (laughs) you know, you've got lots of interests. And that is just totally me to the core. I cannot niche. I will not niche. And (laughs) I I fight against the term. So when you ask me, you know, um, introduce yourself, I know the thing is to say, well, I'm Leela and I specifically help these specific people (laughs) with these specific problems. And there was almost a pause there where you're waiting. So what what else, Leela? Who do you help? The thing is, I I just, you know, I I don't niche. I I generally work with businesses rather than individuals. Um, But I'm really interested in the psychology of entrepreneurship. And that's what led me into imposter phenomenon oh that's amazing and I I love the polymath part it actually (laughs) so I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of a cartoon called Avatar okay and it's not the blue peeps Mm -hmm. it's a completely different thing and the whole concept I'm going to ruin it but it's okay still watch it folks um is that the avatar is a person who's kind of chosen once in a generation who can who can actually manipulate all the elements so everybody's kind of born into their own tribe so whether it's the air tribe who can bend air which means that they can fly or like create gusts of wind or the water tribe the fire tribe the earth Uh tribe the avatar is meant to be the person who's destined to be able to manipulate all of them and essentially as you watch each season that particular avatar travels to all the lands to learn and master those so they're not in all four places at once they are very much building their skills so one day they're in the fire tribe they're chilling out over there the next day they're you know in water and maybe they haven't already got their air bending skills quite yet so you can understand <laughs> all of the calamities that sort of happen but ultimately they end up just being this almighty person that is revered and respected as somebody who not only can manipulate all the elements but actually part of them being able to manipulate all their elements is to unite the tribes mm-hmm. so reflecting that back into the metaphor of you <laughs> as the avatar you're able to take what you know from the telecoms and bring that into the health and you know and it you know even when you talk about the psychology being at the core of it mm-hmm. something being trauma informed creating impactful projects things like that you're able to just keep on building the skills the powers the muscles in the different areas and going do you know what makes me special i do all three of those things <laughs> and I, i'm going to funnel that i'm going to channel that into this thing right here I've been collecting these superpowers all my life. Watch me work. <laughs> it's deep watching and listening, isn't it? And I think this is what what makes me a good psychologist. It's just the, mm. you know, constantly observing. How, how do they do that? Being curious, you know, the, these yeah. are the things, aren't they? There was recently actually a, a paper that came out that said psychological richness is all about being curious. And I, I quite like that. Ooh. I think that's probably where I sit. <laughs> I love that. One of my actual values is curiosity. And that's like in my bit, I did that thing that you're meant to do when you sit down, you create business values. And I was like, these business values are my life values and I don't care. They're both, (laughs) it's all good. The values, the value and curiosity is really huge, like both of self, but just the world around us. Um, Because I think there's so much in there and there's so much to be said for the wonder Mm. that 
you can really tap into. And that actually, for me, brings a lot of pleasure. It brings a lot of joy. It brings a lot of delight. And I think us people, people, I'm going to lump us together temporarily, psychologists, sociologists, coaches, therapists, <laughs> counsellors, you know, us people, we will people watch all day, okay? We'll watch a show <laughs> that's about people watching people and helping mm-hmm. people to help people, right? We like to get meta with it. Um, that's it. It's like, oh my gosh, this is fascinating. Oh my gosh, there's a pattern here. Oh my gosh, there's 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 something kind of unconscious about this thing over here. And, you know, and it's like, oh, what can we learn from that? What can we take? Um, and and just, just be in awe by, really. I get a lot of that when I speak to you. I know you, you <laughs> joked the last time we spoke. I mean, we, we certainly have conversations, but I think one of the things that I, I recognise in you is just how you are doing that same thing. You're you're out there observing people, you're working one-to-one, but the work that you do as well is kind of picking up skills and going, how, how can I use that somewhere else? How can I be really efficient here? And um, what always amazes me in my conversations with you is just how driven you are um so your your goals are like kind of front and center aren't they in life and I love that when I when I talk to you I come away and think oh my god she will not fail at this (laughs) (laughs) I love that that means so much because I just do you know what it is It's, 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 it's the, it's the lazy way to live. Cause I kind of just think if everybody knows what Jazz <laughs> wants and what she's after and what direction she's going in, A, if you're tempted to get in my way, you just won't. And if you want to come <laughs> along, you know exactly where we're going. <laughs> like, I'm not going to like be like all cloak and dagger about it. Like maybe I want to help people. Maybe I don't. Maybe I want to work full time and have a business. Maybe I don't, I don't know. That does not help you help me. Does not help us help each other. <laughs> That just leaves us all confused and you walk away going, that jazz girl, there's some stuff going on. I'm not really quite sure what it is, but it's <laughs> stuff. Um, and especially as a fellow multi-passionate individual, I don't live in the land of stuff. If somebody wants to look at the way I live my life or run my business or my career and think like jack of all trades, master of none, that's their perspective, not mine. Mm-hmm. I'm very clear on the strands. I'm very clear on the slices of the pizza I'm very clear on like, there's a lot of pressure isn't there there's a lot of pressure out there I think especially mm. with social media probably less so I think entrepreneurs maybe 10-15 years ago were expected to flip from one thing to another and to have lots of plates spinning at the same mm-hmm. time and yet entrepreneurship in the social media world <laughs> seems to have gone right you need to have a strap line have one specific thing that you're doing and I need you to sell this over and over and over and over again and I get you know I get how successful that model is and I get how that works with attention and mm. how we spend our time online scrolling um but it doesn't mean we have to be that way you know there's always choice yeah. oh my goodness 100% I've got a ranty episode can't remember the number now but it's with <laughs> my good friend Rachel because we ended up basically what's that voice noting ourselves at length and then we were just like right hit record, swing me the link because we need to dispel all of these shoulds that have kept us in a cage of our own making. Mm -hmm. I've got this gut instinct to do this thing this way or this knowing that it's right for me to do this in my career or take this opportunity or say no to this opportunity that doesn't make sense to anyone else. But then I won't do it because I'm like, but that's not how you do it. You're meant Mm -hmm. to niche down. You're meant to choose an angle. You're meant to choose one social media platform. You're meant to have a particular aesthetic. You're meant to da la 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 la. None of it. And then when you get None into that coaching space that we we kind of occupy, 
and what what are the two things that we we talk to our clients about mm. they're about approach goals and avoidance goals and when mm. you start thinking i need to do this i have to do that i have to fit in here you start putting all these avoidance goals in place so you, you're not going for things you want to really passionately follow yeah you're spending all your time trying to avoid you know the fact that oh if I don't post this I won't have a presence or if mm-hmm. I don't do this exactly the same way other people in my industry are doing it I won't be seen as credible you know and then these things feed into imposter don't they so yeah I think there's a lot to be said about you know just kind of weighing up what kind of goals have you got there have you got a mm. good mix of approach and avoidance are you trying to mold yourself into a place where you you just literally don't feel that you want yeah. to be and that's yeah. really helpful stuff isn't it yeah, it's, it's feeling like a stranger in your own career. Mm. And then the moment you sit down, you go, but I created these walls. And I think, you know, what comes to mind when you said that is boundaries. And one of the biggest things that I love to teach is that, yes, boundaries, it's like, ugh, discipline, can't <laughs> do this, can't have the candy, can't have the chocolate. But I think more of us would have boundaries if we focus about what they protect. What mm. do they keep in? Like, what do what what's inside you know, when you have a fence, I like to imagine yourself as being in a garden with a fence all around it. And you can focus on what's outside of the fence. But what's inside of the fence? Do we have a rose bush here? Do we have some animals? Do we have a lovely lawn? What is inside here that makes you look over the fence and go, it's still a no from me? Because you're going to destroy my rose bush. <laughs> I mean, like, it's literally <laughs> that. Oh, those of you whose mind has gone to an interesting place, come back. Okay. Um, but it's that. I right? really like it's your that. analogy. I love that analogy. And actually, if, let's use that analogy with imposter. So with yeah. imposter phenomenon, um, we could use that analogy of rather than a fence, I'm going to build a big brick wall so I don't have to see what everyone else is doing. So I don't feel that I'm comparing myself against them because impos- people who experience imposter phenomenon would like to do that sometimes. Mm. And that's interesting. But I suppose where my research came from was the most interesting thing is that women specifically are wanting more control. So if we're talking about a garden with a fence or a gate, Mm. they want that gate, but they want to be able to say when they open it and when they shut it. They want to be able to say when they pull a blind down on a window and when they pull the blind up. And our world of work in that kind of social media place doesn't Mm. afford us that kind of control. And here we are talking about imposter as feelings and thoughts. And I keep saying to people now, it's like, actually, the research I'm doing, I feel that we're missing the point here. We keep saying to women, you're the problem. And Mm. how do you manage imposter? But actually, isn't some of this just about the fact that the world hasn't provided us with the right tools to be able to control our boundaries and to be able to put the right boundaries in place when we want them? Um, And I think that's the interesting thing that's coming out for me. So I love your analogy because it Mm. kind of leads quite nicely into some of those things that are absent at the moment for women in work yeah oh my gosh it's so huge even going back to what you were saying about you know that sort of overwhelming feeling of if I don't do this then this won't happen and I'm just doomed everything leads to doom (laughs) and shame right shame like in my work around imposter syndrome that tends to be you know when you go kind of okay what does this make you feel like and then what does that make you feel like we end up at shame 
and embarrassed and just like, okay, hide now. Um, and you know, it made me think of before we hit record, me just sharing an update around basically the fact that life was lifing. Mm. And today, the day that we record is the first day in months that I've actually put any content up that I felt compelled to share on social media. Um, I probably haven't sent a newsletter out in, I'm going to say, five, six weeks. And I'm at this space in life where I'm okay with that. And this morning in my pyjamas, I got a phone call from private number, picked it up, said, hi. He said, hi, my name's so-and-so. I'm a producer at BBC. We want to talk about the gender pay gap. Would love to know if you've got any viewpoints you want to share and come on and record. I said, yeah. She was like, could you be ready in 45 <laughs> minutes? I said, yeah. I'm still in my gym jams, by the way, at the time of this call. Get on, have a wonderful conversation about the appalling yet not surprising statistic uh, about essentially the gender pay gap just being worse. Eight out of 10 women getting paid less than their male counterparts as of April 2023 in the UK. So putting the context there through Mm. the government information that's been harvested and just sharing some tips and insights and stuff. Uh, Finished off the call and they were just like, right, so this is going to be on BBC Radio 1 Newsbeat and one extra. And I was like... Oh my god! Because I've been on BBC Radio before, but it, it's been the regional regional channels, which are still just as delightful. But I was like, wait, but I listen to this. This comes on twice a day, like it's got a jingle and everything. And I sat down, I got off the call, and I was just like, first of all, you message the family WhatsApp group. You have to let a few people know what's happening. Burst out of my room, burst into my husband's office, and I was just like, you'll never guess what. So I've just recorded it, but this is where it's going. And I just came back into my room and I said, it means nothing. They were still able to find me. I was still able to get my message out there. I didn't have to, I didn't have to get dressed, folks. I was in my gym jams (laughs) all the way through because it's radio. And then now I've got a little snippet that I shared sharing my viewpoints and tips and insights and stuff. And it's that, and it's like, you know, any other season, it would be like, oh no, my website isn't ready. Oh, if people hear me and then they look at me, then they're going to be like, oh, she's a fraud. You know, she just came on here to talk and it's rubbish. And and I was like, I don't care. I actually don't care. You've called me for a reason. This is amazing. My answer is yes, let's go, let's go. I've got opinions, I've got thoughts. Um, And so I digress a little bit, but I thought I'd share that. I love that 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 happened today. I love that that happened today. (laughs) <laughs> this is it and it's you know I wake up in the morning it's like oh I should write a news oh I should release a podcast I should do all, all the should, should 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 and it's just like I can intake this information I can watch other people's content and I'm not making it mean anything about me and what I can't do and what I should be ashamed of and what I should do and all of those things and that takes work but it's possible Mm. You mentioned shame just there. I'm really interested mm. in your thoughts on shame and imposter and, and how it's so, showing up for you, but also for people you're working with as well. Yeah. For people that I'm working with, there's an element of speed because I, I like to work with the mm-hmm. high achieving, ambitious folks who are just like, I should have been there by now. <laughs> um, and they have that internal chatter, which they just reflect mm. back onto everyone else. You know, even down to, you know, I think my partner probably looks at me and thinks what the hell is going on and my kids and you know quite close to home and that's one Mm -hmm. thing that I always find I found with myself is that you know as much as we see a lot of information around imposter around career imposter can be in your house in your Mm -hmm. romantic relationships in your familial relationships um 
you know, and I think that's a huge thing that comes up a lot. Um, and I think then there's that element of I have disappointed myself in the entire universe in this moment by not being able to do the thing or not being able to show up in the way that I was meant to or not being able to meet these expectations that I've actually projected on someone else. Because, you know, one of the biggest things I say to people, if you suspect that you're feeling imposter syndrome, let's go back to the very boring dictionary definition of it being well, it's not a dictionary definition. This is a jazz definition. You worrying about what you think other people think about you. Mm. So why don't you go to those people and go, what do you actually think? Hi, manager. What do you expect me to get done this week? Hi, hubby. How can I support our family this week? Hi, kiddos. What would you like me to do with you this half term? Get the information and diffuse the bomb. And I'm not saying that that's the like catch all for everything, but it's a way through because then you also give people an opportunity to reflect back the reality that you quite often can't see where they go, you're doing amazing. I don't even know how you're doing all the things that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you've only been in the job five days. Don't worry. Just focus on meeting people and having the coffee chats, you know, and you're able to kind of be released and they can give you grace that gives you permission to give yourself grace. And that mm-hmm. can kind of release yourself from the shame a little bit. You can adjust some of those expectations. You can start to, borrow some other people's thoughts about yourself even if it's difficult for you to absorb it yourself that you are where you're meant to be I think some of that context setting and resetting is a really interesting way of processing some of that kind of shame experience that happens isn't it and it's it's interesting when you talk about or what's the definition and this is the really interesting thing about imposter and this is what propelled me to do the research I suppose is that you google imposter syndrome and you get 7 million, no lie, <laughs> 7 million returns on articles from everything from HBR, Harvard Business Review, mm. through to Forbes. And they're all focusing on, you know, what women are feeling, right? What they're feeling, mm. not experiencing, but feeling. And then you Google imposter phenomenon in the psychology journals because they call it a phenomenon rather than a syndrome because we don't treat it mm. because it's not medical it's not in the um the the manual of, of medical things <laughs> that happen to us um and you get one million or seven hundred and seventy thousand if you if you look for imposter phenomenon mm. results and then what you start to see is that a lot of what is being measured is it being measured in loads of different ways and the construct what we call imposter phenomenon is broadly three things so it's that fear of failure um you know it's that thing of saying I'm here by luck I'm just a lucky person so it's downplaying Mm. your own academic or your own skilled achievements you know things like that but Roughly speaking, you know, imposter phenomenon is those broad feelings of um, feeling like an imposter, feeling you're going to get found out. And also, you know, that that sense of, you know, not quite belonging or that you got here by luck and you're going to get caught out. So Mm. it's really interesting that we measure it in so many different ways. And I was quite interested in saying, well, actually, well, what does that mean for, you know, women now if we looked recently to say why why does imposter happen and I was interested in saying well what is it really because that Mm. felt too broad for me it's like so broad 
And before we got on the recording, we were talking about this recent explosion, weren't we? This dialing yeah. up of imposter phenomenon. And I think this happens every couple of years. I think every couple mm. of years, a couple of articles come out that are quite interesting. And they'll go with the narrative. And then everybody's talking about imposter. And I'll give you an example. Today, a really good friend of mine sent me a podcast that Valerie Young's appeared on. Talking yeah. about imposter, and she famously is an expert in imposter phenomenon and has coined I'm saying coined, not research, but she's coined five types mm. of imposter. And then you've yeah. got Clanson Nims who came up with the original phrase, and there that was 1978. Her um, Valerie Young's research is 1985, mm. and then HBR Harvard Business Review. In 2021, I think Talishan um, did a, an article saying, stop telling women they've got imposter phenomenon. And that was yeah. really getting to the heart of systemic racism and sexism mm -hmm. and all of the other stuff. And the current trend that I'm seeing on LinkedIn is all around neurodiversity. It's saying, stop yeah. saying this is imposter. Actually, this is an extension of ADHD. It's an extension of autism. It's an extension of mm. this or that. So I think part of the reason we hear a lot and it's so noisy is that it's really difficult to define what we're talking about. But what, when we do talk about it in a very relatable way, we talk about it in broad terms that people can understand. Everyone's mm. had moments where they feel ashamed. Everyone's had moments where they feel out of their depth. That's part of growing as an individual. 100%. We need some of that and that grit. Everybody has felt that they've got somewhere by luck because perhaps sometimes, you know, we're taught to be humble, for example. Mm. So when you start to be quite critical of imposter phenomenon as a phrase, that's where I said, when I do this research, I want to get right into what women are experiencing because then I, when I can pin down this is your experience, I can mm. start understanding what made that happen, what was existing or what wasn't there. Yeah. And the interesting thing when you start to ask those questions is, you know, women are saying, well, actually, in this context or in this scenario, here's what happens to me and here's how it feels, not just the how do I feel bit. Um, so, you know, the interesting thing really around imposter is that one, we don't define it particularly well, that it's a really interesting subject because everyone can relate to it. And that's the best bit. And we're going to continue having these big conversations about it mm. until we do more proper research. So if I um, kind of give you an alternative view, so Carol Dweck, she's the mindset yeah. psychologist, mindset. right? And you know about her work. I know you know it inside yeah. out. You're really into mindset. And so you'll get this. Carol Dweck goes, right, mindset, I've got a theory around this. And actually, mm. what I'm going to do is I'm going to put interventions in place because I'm a scientist. And I'm going to mm. test how well these interventions work with school children. So that's where her research came out. Right. And so we've got all of this evidence over decades and longitudinal studies. So we go back and we see the same people and we ask the same questions and we measure them and we see what effect the intervention has had imposter phenomenon has a real absence of that because we're too busy saying oh women how must you change you must change and you must do this and you must be more confident and you must have better self-esteem but we never sit there and go but I'll come and visit you in two years and see how that's gone for you yeah <laughs> and don't you just think that's bonkers I think it's bonkers that we just don't Parachute. 
snapshot. We just want a snapshot. Nerd yeah. thing. Yeah. And that, that kind mm. of sums up a lot about imposter. So in the UK, for example, if you go and look at the studies that we've done on imposter, they will go and ask a specific occupational group. So nurses mm. and teachers are really popular in this. Oh, how yeah. do nurses experience imposter phenomenon? Um, can we use the scale, the Clance and I'm scale on them and say, how much of an imposter are you feeling? Yeah. You know? And this is all brilliant, but it doesn't go beyond that. It's not kind of saying, and let me then help you with something and then let's measure it and see yeah. if it works. So I was really determined to talk to entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs cover loads of different occupations and a lot of the studies out there are like kind of single occupational studies and with Mm. entrepreneurs you can go out and say if you're an entrepreneur I want to speak to you about imposter phenomenon and you get an artist you get a Marcoms you get somebody who's a coach you get somebody who is I don't know a scientist you get a real breadth of people but they're also doing work in very non-standard and very institutional ways Mm. so Again, there's this whole narrative that's saying, oh, well, it's the world of work and it's organisations and offices that that cause imposter. And when you start speaking with entrepreneurs, they're in such weird and kind of wonderful spaces in between the cracks of a big organisation or contracting and freelancing. But you start to see actually the common denominator here is that there's a lack of control. These people Mm -hmm. have a lack of control and these people are very context aware. And that for me is that I'm in my garden, but I'm aware of what's outside of my garden. So I'm really aware of everything. And if we flip that and go, well, isn't that such a blooming great skill to have in business? Mm. Then what you're talking about as being imposter starts to become a game of risk management. And so as coaches, we can turn around to people and say, right, so tell me what your risks are with this situation rather than tell me what you're feeling about the situation. Straight Mm. away as a coach, you've got somebody thinking about things quite objectively rather than emotionally, which is a helpful thing to do at the right time and the right place. And so I think that's with the imposter conversation why I get frustrated when I see these articles, when I see people talking about it. So I'm going, but there's more. Can you just go a bit deeper? Can you just just you one more step, please? Yeah. Like I don't. Oh gosh! Even when I deliver my workshop on it, and I go through, you know, a lot of the introduction of it is based on Valerie Young's um, five mm. different types because that's actually what opened it up for me. Because people kept saying you're going to get found out, and I was like, that means nothing to me. Who's going to find me out? But then when I got into the other ones, and I was like, okay, the perfectionist sounds a little bit familiar. It's a little bit more nuanced. <laughs> You know, and one of the biggest things that I share in my kind of toolkit around it is note down when it rocks up. So I'm I'm a big fan of getting people to like name their imposter and, mm-hmm. you know, have it as something that's outside of you. When do they pop up and go, hey, hello, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a while. What's happening in that moment? Maybe you are having to wing it. Maybe you are thoroughly unsupported in your role. Maybe you are making it up as you go, which most entrepreneurs are very few entrepreneurs get training in how to be an entrepreneur before they put their stand out and they put their stall out and go hi hello I can help you for money or I can sell you this thing for money so there's that element of can can we just what's going on in the surroundings because you're doing amazingly well considering what is going on and again going back to that work on kind of how it 
impacts like how it plays with inclusion and a sense of belonging and things like that and psychological safety can even get thrown into the bucket as well and there's just so many things where it's just like could we just do a quick 360 before you label yourself because it could be something entirely different that has just been labeled because you opened up your LinkedIn feed and there was a buzzword and there was a quick stat and somebody was just like, if you this, then you are this. And then you went, okay, yeah, it's me <laughs> without any question or without any sort of like, hey, what if that is me? What do I do? Because this is a regular feeling and it doesn't feel good. How do I navigate it? Right. That's a huge thing that for me, like, I'm just like, when well, I'm going to eradicate it it's come to teach you something in most senses um so it's like how are you you going to build your own approach to it when it does arrive and a lot of it is tapping into the silver lining you know i mean again i love to work with the high achievers we're always on the move go 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 go. (laughs) and the first thing that i say which blows their mind is it's a sign that you kind of are probably where you wanted to be Because if you knew everything, going back to what you said about risk, if every risk was mitigated, you were probably having the most boring day of your career. (laughs) And we hate being bored. High achievers do not waste my talents and my strengths and my skills. Do not, I don't like the mundane. I don't Mm. like the predictable. We like to do new things. We like to challenge ourselves. We like to learn. We like to stretch. We like to explore. We like to be curious. We like, you know, all of those things means a bunch of unknowns a bunch of quote-unquote risk that we kind of just throw in the bin right we start a new job and we're just like there are zero risks no there are risks there's a probation period for a reason okay these people might not like you you might not like them your commute might get messed up there's a lot of things and i'm not saying we should go into like worry war status here yeah but we throw all of that stuff in the bin going back to what you said about put the brick wall up This episode is brought to you by Just Jazz Private Coaching, the six-month one-to-one experience for high achievers to carve their unique careers free from burnout, overwhelm, and underwhelm. With challenging and curious conversations, we get knee-deep in all the things getting in the way of you having a hell-yeah career instead of a career that feels meh. If this sounds great to you, book a call today at justjazz.co forward slash coaching, where we will map out the what and how of working together. There's a client of mine who uh, will recognize this when I talk about it. And uh, I talk about the fact that I have a particular client who is somebody who climbs to the top of the tallest diving board in the Mm. Olympic Stadium every single day and flings themselves off and you know that that is a lesson in risk taking in itself that person is taking risk after risk after risk and that's a high octane kind of way to do business Mm. now they're great at it they're really good at it but they have to experience the the you know all of the emotions that come along with that kind of risk taking and this is about as I suppose kind of reclaiming a little bit of the feelings Mm. that come with the mechanism of taking those risks so I agree I I think it's just really fascinating when you start working with people and especially Mm. when you start working with people who are all going in a similar direction and going for those big big goals you start to see what's really happening and it's easy to sit there as a coach sometimes and go I can see this I can see this is why you're fearful and perhaps you know you can come to that place yourself and I'm going to try and help 
you get there. Um, but I just think it's a real reflection on how we look at imposter in the in the general media. I suppose mm. where I come from is that for me, the neuro neurodiversity, um, the racism that we have, systemic racism and also sexism and some of the structures are definitely part of imposter. They're they're not separate. And Mm. a lot of the more recent research, and mine included, points to the fact that we need safety. We need Mm. safety to be able to fail. We need safety to be able to have control. And some of these things need to be in place for that imposter um, kind of thing to be negated. And let's throw in mindset. So there's a really, really Mm. interesting study. And um, this is by uh, a woman called Rebecca Naskew. And she's from the University of Nottingham. And her paper is literally called Connecting the Dots Between Mindset and Imposter Phenomenon. And what she finds is that when you have a growth mindset and when you have approach goals, then imposter phenomenon is not as prevalent as if you have a fixed mindset and avoidance goals. Well, who knew, right? But this is the interesting thing. It's just that when you start to then put all the bits and the layers together, you're going, Mm. well, of course, fixed mindset is definitely a big part of this. And with the mindset piece we've got these longitudinal studies we've got the interventions that work with approach and avoidance goals as coaches that's what we're trained in to help people and to support them to set the good goals the bit that feels like it's always been missing has been about this reframing of it around actually you are like what you're saying it's you are where you need to be to be able to achieve Mm. what you want to achieve and it's going to be uncomfortable And how do we take the overwhelm of imposter? So here's something that really came out in in my kind of imposter interviews, which is the phrases that women used about imposter. So things like Mm. gushing or it was like an avalanche. It was Mm. a you know a a kind of sea and these like really kind of they conjure up images of rushing water of um, cold places of fast moving earthly elements Mm. and that's how imposter can feel it's all consuming overwhelming and that comes back to that voice in your head doesn't it that constant narrative yeah so it's really interesting that when we start to break it down you're kind of thinking right so we're very context aware and that context awareness shows up of lots of voices giving you different direction in a different places. So I'm a mum of a seven-year-old and Mm. um, I struggle when the TV's on and they've got their tablet and then my husband's saying something in the kitchen and I'm perhaps looking at something on Instagram and it's just overload, you know, that is sensory overload anyway. And imposter can be a bit like that. There's all got all these different channels all going off. Mm. You're paying attention to what's happening outside of your court or your garden, if we're using your analogy again. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you need to be able to pull that blind down. You need to be able to lock the gate and just focus on what you've got to do. Other times you've got to be curious and see it all. So there's neither a, mm. a perfect place to be. You've got to just have the options to be able to do what you need to do in the right time, knowing when to pull that curtain down when to pull it back up again open your gate shut your gate now that that's the tricky bit and I think that's the thing we need to be paying attention to more is around 
if we've not got the tools in order to yeah. give ourselves psychological safety and create that control so that we can take the risks we want to take more safely, then of course we're going to experience imposter. It's almost so overwhelming that we just give up all sense of agency. Mm. It's happening to me. <laughs> you know, for those of you who are just listening to audio and you're not watching the video, I did just put my hands up and wave them in defence, weak defence. But it is kind of that, you know, it's, and I think that's why I'm not surprised that that connection is there to fixed mindset. Because again, people like to vilify fixed mindset. Okay, fixed mindset has protected me in some spaces and some areas of my life, which is great. But essentially, mm. when you're in that fixed mindset, it's like, this is my lot. So if you combine that belief or belief system with, oh my goodness, they're going to find me out, you're looking for the exit door. There is no muscle, there is no, there is no option to do anything else because if I truly believe in this particular space in life, because again, folks, you're not just like one mindset in every single area of your life, it's a spectrum, folks, um, in this particular area, I'm gonna, I want to use an example because I like doing examples, okay? And I'm going to test this one out. I'm testing it out in real time. I have always been a person where it's like I'm not green-thumbed. It's not happening, okay? <laughs> Grandma's green-thumbed. Mother-in-law's <laughs> green-thumbed, okay? So I'm in this space where I could experience some imposter syndrome. They're going to find out that I can't keep these plants alive because they're going to come to the house and be there <laughs> one minute and they're not going to be there another minute, right? Okay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go. I've got the instructions. I've got my brain. I've got my time. But in the past, it didn't work. So I could be thinking, it's my lot. I'm just never going to be green thumbed. And I'm just going to impress them with my baking for the rest of my life. Mm. Combine those two. The result is Jess should never buy a plant again in her life. Exit, <laughs> exit, exit. It's over. It's it's too un It's too uncomfortable. And that brings me on another thing as well. The world is not crumbling around you if you feel discomfort. Well, this is it. I wrote a blog on this quite recently, actually. I talked about stress and the fact that, you know, our bodies, that's what they do. Our bodies, most of the time, every day are responding to stress because we have a very well-oiled machine that <laughs> can deliver the hormones to our bodies to make our um, blood pump faster, to make sure that we are ready to fight or flight whenever we need mm. to. And you know what? That's just dead normal. And the analogy I use is one of um, people jumping out of aeroplanes because, you know, you can get novices jumping out of aeroplanes and you can get experts jumping out of aeroplanes. And both of those people, if they take a saliva swab, have got cortisol before they mm. jump out of an airplane because jumping out of an airplane is scary, right? <laughs> yeah. and so there's a professor called Mark Weatherall who does a much better story and analogy around this. Um, and I'd cover it more in my blog, but um, essentially what it tells us, what that gives us is the fact that, you know, stress is doing what it needs to do and we're going to mm -hmm. encounter stressful things. And in order to grow, you've got to learn. In order to learn, you're going to fail. And this comes back into that mindset thing again, which is around, you know, the research that I did specifically around online communities was just really identifying that online communities, they reduce um, the audience a little bit for people. And so mm. it's a little bit easier to understand who's watching and listening. In doing mm. some of that, it's easier to fail if it is a safe place to be. And that's that psychological safety. So mm. I now want you to imagine um, LinkedIn and you're putting a post out on LinkedIn tomorrow 
And I'm going to say to you, right, what steps can you take to mitigate how many people see that post? <laughs> you can't. LinkedIn's just like, publish it, it's out there, you know. Facebook, you can do a little bit of reducing your audience. <laughs> I mean, the only way to not get seen on LinkedIn is just to write really bad stuff, right? <laughs> you know, or, or not Basically. show up at all. I mean, that's you waiting for the algorithms to just work with you if you don't want to show <laughs> up. But on Instagram, you can actually, there are a few things you can do to limit audience on Instagram. You know, you can um, have a private account or mm. you can, um, I think they had that thing where you could set up private groups or whatever. So yep. the, the different platforms have different ways of stopping the propagation of, of information information and yet LinkedIn the the professional network that most women use doesn't have any control over it that that can help us feel safe to fail and learn so imagine you're starting in your career I mean I've been using LinkedIn since it started Um, imagine you're starting in your career and you want to put something out there and I've seen some of those pylons on that space I mean, there's nothing in there that's really encouraging people to have a go if they're fearful. Mm. And no wonder people feel like an imposter when they have to post something out there on LinkedIn because there's no control. You can't you can't control it. You can't close your gate, mm. you know. You don't know who it's going out to. We call it, psychologists call this context collapse. You know, mm. we, no way of knowing who's watching, who's reading, who's seeing, who's going to reply, how they're going to reply. Are they going to jump on it to get their own likes or that kind? You know, there's all sorts mm. of strategies that people are using on LinkedIn other than being quite, um, you know, authentic with it. And so yeah. you start looking at all of this stuff around, you know, can I fail safely? Can I take risks? And it, and it all comes back to this control piece, which I'm quite mm. interested in. I'm quite interested in this this control thing and how women network. And that's where my PhD research is going, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, I love it. And even as you said that, actually, it brings me back to what you were saying, you know, as you just built the timeline of the research around imposter. Mm. And the reality is what we're observing is a dance between the world of work mm. and the women the world of work and the people interacting in it. And I think if we keep researching in these sort of parachute snapshot ways, we're not getting the full journey that's happening alongside of the ways of work, right? Mm -hmm. And we can start to see things like, you know, I don't know whether it was even based on a piece of research or whether it was just anecdotal, but people realised that in the pandemic, that marginalised group felt more confident and comfortable and safe at work. They didn't Mm -hmm. feel that they had to perform in the way that they did when it was going into an office going into a corporate space where there's Mm -hmm. an unspoken uniform and an unspoken way of wearing your hair and an unspoken way of showing up and all of those different things we kind of let go of a lot of those rules when the world flipped upside down and I think it's so important for us to look at both you know even going back to what you said here in terms of um let's use the example of personal branding Let's go back to the 90s, right? My dad has worked for himself since he was about 17. And one of the things that he always used to say, and he'll say it to this day, he goes, I'm never going to change my number because you never know who's still got my business card from whenever, (laughs) right? People have got my number, I've got their numbers saved. I'm just never going to change my number. And he's got one phone, which is his biz phone and his personal phone. Because again, there wasn't a boundaried life. Your life was work. Yeah. (laughs) Off in the, you know, in the (laughs) 80s, in the 70s. Um, you know, and so personal branding for him was your chin wag after church. 
going to family gatherings, mm-hmm. in the local supermarket or food shop, your clients, the people that you work with, your family members and friends of those that you meet at barbecues. That was personal brand. Show up to the thing and talk to some people and then have a couple of business cards in your back pocket. You knew who you met or at least the sphere mm-hmm. that you were walking into. I'm going to a birthday barbecue of my childhood friends. I will probably see other childhood friends, their maybe work colleagues, their family members. That's the bubble. And and this is what's changed so much in networking. So my PhD research is very much around how do we measure that networking? How do you measure networking mm. nowadays? And especially how do you measure the impact and effect of it when, you know, it's not standard? So you don't mm. go, so you might have done like 10, 20 years ago, some of the research studies they used to do around this would be around, right, if you go to X number of networking events, what impact does that make? Can we see you in another year's time? What connections did you make? And yeah. There's a sociologist called Granavetta, and he came up with this weak tie um, hypothesis in that most people found out about job opportunities, not through their close network, but through the connected weak ties. And Mm. so a lot of our networking theory is, is kind of predicated around some of that. However, things have changed. You know, people who would have been our weak ties in the past are now much closer. So you can hold space with people who are, I don't know, an astro scientist or physicist, <laughs> and you can hold space with somebody who's a plumber in a networking mm. space these days. You know, they're not as white collar as they used Siloed, to be. Yeah. And, you know, there's loads and loads of things that, that are happening there. So I'm, I'm quite interested in how all that is shaping. But I want to pick back on something you said, which was quite mm. interesting about the experience of, I suppose, global majority um, in the pandemic and you know that uh, thing around appearance and um, uniform and, and showing up um, in, in a physical mm. workspace is, is you know problematic it was interesting um, so I'd just done my research this time last year and a lot of the women I spoke to were reflecting on their pandemic journey and there were three women who spoke quite um deeply about the negative impact that um, race had on their online experiences because in America there was a lot of stuff kicking off around race um, Mm -hmm. with an attack on somebody by a white policeman and um, a death happened and there was other stuff there was race riots happening as well and they were saying that actually when they were a woman of colour in a group Um, during that time there was a real expectation that was on them and that felt like an imposter situation to them Mm. so these narratives are are kind of written out in in the research and it wasn't just one person a couple of people going actually it was harder for me to be online during that time because of because of the race thing and actually our spaces are not helpful because we still look to people of colour to solve the problems And, Mm. and you know it was really interesting that came through and I suppose my life experience isn't, is that I've not experienced that. So I was really interested to yeah. just kind of sit back and listen and go, oh, I'd not thought about that. And this is part of the um, narrative around 
the imposter phenomenon psychology research, which is coming out where they're looking at um, young black men in America and mm. their performance and the fact that imposter phenomenon is so prevalent um, in America in schools with young black men. Um, and part of that conversation that the HBR article was having, stop mm. telling women they've got imposter phenomenon. Actually, let's look at systemic racism because actually yeah. there's a lot to answer for. Yeah, it's almost like cause and effect, right? Mm-hmm. Symptom. It's a it's a symptom of the system, which is yeah. broken. Yeah. And so instead of kind of looking at the person, I don't know. It's it's a, it's like a backwards way of doing it. Fix the person who's experiencing the symptom, but it's like no, but the system's still broken. Yeah. Hi, yeah. folks. Hello. Hey, <laughs> up there, further up. <laughs> keep going yeah keep past it past it keep going it's it's up there right because we can bandage all the stuff that we Mm -hmm. want and I think that's the thing that always you know I my my own perspective on things like this is and it's very much my own is once I do those checks and once I've applied my tools and nothing changes it's time for me to leave because at this point it, it has to be a self-defense response, right? So speaking specifically, if I'm having imposter syndrome due to being in a toxic and oppressive work environment that is designed where people willfully make me feel othered on a regular basis and make me feel like I'm underperforming on a regular basis and all of all of the red flags are just there, I will do my jazz thing of rainbow sprinkles let's do the mindset let's do the affirmations let's have some tough conversations let's ask some questions let's get some clarifying points if that yields no fruit I'm out because it is not worth it for me to be crushed under the weight of something that is bigger than me and sometimes walking away is the thing that prompts the thought right um Mm. I've had it where I've left roles or said no to opportunities and been very clear of the reasons why and left in integrity with, I will answer all of your questions on just how bad that experience was. What you do with it is up to you, but I've done my part in terms of like, I'm not running away. I am walking out of this door. You are aware of why I'm walking out of this door. I have, even if I have ideas for improvement or some, it would have been better ifs, I will give you, I will offer you those freely, but I am done because I can't single-handedly lift something up by myself um and I think that's a decision that I had to come to I think early on in my career I thought I could revolutionize everything and then it led me headfirst into burnout it led me into anxiety it led me into all of these things that were destructive to me and that were very deeply personal nobody from work was calling me up when I burnt out no, in fact, no, lies. Somebody called me up and had a more inappropriate conversation. Conversation for another day. But <laughs> nobody was genuinely checking on me. You know, it was me and my partner in the trenches. Of how do we get you the help so that you're not in this place and you can restore and rebuild and all of those things? And that's the reality when you go to the nth degree of self-defense. But again, we can, there's probably tons of research as women. We like to give it a go. We like to support. We like to think. And then again, you layer that in with being a black woman. It's just like, no, I'm meant to uplift the community. If I don't stand up for it, then blah, blah, blah. And again, you've got that burden. It's almost like I'm making it up, making up this phrase now, but it's the burden of revolution. I see something wrong and I, 
I have to fix it because if I don't fix it, then who's going to fix it? Mm-hmm. Right. And we can have a whole conversation about how that holds people back in their careers and in life. I'm because, going to share, I'll oh. share with you after this, the passage from the participant who talks, talked yeah. about their specific um, situation. And, you know, they talk at one point about being literally feeling like they're being pushed up the ladder, that, it, you know, mm. the weight of responsibility on their shoulders to fix these problems. And, you know, that is the opposite, I would say, to climbing up the steps to fling yourself off the top diving board is the opposite to being pushed up there because no one else wants to do the work, the hard work. And mm. they're completely different imposter experiences aren't they when when that happens when that exposure happens and so we will say with imposter that you know that fear of failure is is that exposure that that happens now there are some of us that will put ourselves up on that top diving board because we want the exposure mm. we're going to jump off and we know it'll all be okay at the end and we'll deal with the short-term pain um yeah. if somebody else is con- consistently and i mean somebody else as in society is consistently saying well you know you, it's your job to to kind of be this type of person that there's quite some dangerous narratives i think around especially um those global majority women who are seeing that they they would be the spokesperson for example for for key Mm. issues you see it in the lgbt community as well it's like you know you must be an advocate for this and that can be quite dangerous too when that person isn't feeling safe enough to Mm. be able to be authentically themselves so yeah no i i see some of that i just thought i'd share that because it was quite Mm. when we said before um, we started recording, you know, what were the interesting things of the research? You know, I, I expected to hear from, a, if I'm quite honest, quite a majority white sample mm. because of who I am, because of the spaces that I occupy. You know, yeah. um, I know you from from real work and um, mm. I, I sit and doing it for the kids and being freelance and, you know, but online I'm connected mostly with other white people I suppose the majority and so I expected that kind of participant and and yeah I didn't I got a really interesting mix of participants and I was so surprised by by the conversations that we're having because it had it really challenged my assumptions around imposter mm. and it challenged I suppose what the research has been saying around the fact that we're getting it wrong that we're not paying close attention to the structures that are sitting there and, and the inequity that's happening yeah oh so much we should go on we're having you back I've decided I, I don't know when but we're having you back this <laughs> like, I know there's so much more talking. <laughs> I know it's good look I'll let you all in on a secret we were pretty much doing a pre-podcast for about 30 minutes before we hit record today and we did we did loop in so don't worry you didn't miss all the gems <laughs> we brought most of them back in <laughs> that's it we've come back to most of it but this is what I mean where I'm just like we are gonna have you back for sure just as we close what is your career teaching you right now I think my career is teaching me right now um resilience um it's teaching me that patience as well I mean I am desperate to um continue my research journey 
and I've got bills to pay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we were talking previously, I took a couple of years out to do my master's, which was, you know, very fulfilling. And I, I got the book and I really want to ask the questions and get the answers, but ask the right questions. And mm. so I'm embarking on a PhD, but it's going to be slower and longer than my master's research. So I think, yeah, a little bit of patience, but with patience comes with p- perspective, doesn't it? And I think mm. I'm really enjoying sitting back a little bit in my own career and just going, you know, on where I wanted to be. If I look back 20 years, my goal was to work in lots of different industries to be able to choose the type of work I want to do which I can do which is lovely and Mm. this new goal of researching is a relatively new one it's in its infancy so I'm quite interested and curious to see where it goes but it's the resilience that has to come with you know um I've always got a list of like eight or nine different articles I want to read around imposter because keeping on top of all of these changing narratives and the changing research, that's a full-time job in itself. And I think what I don't want to be is one of those imposter experts that comes out with three ways to stop imposter <laughs> and sell that. I mean, that's not me. I I want to keep going at it. I want to keep digging, yeah. digging, digging until there's Getting nothing the new left to dig at. Yeah absolutely nothing that's it the nuance that that's what I'm for um I suppose the other thing my career is teaching me is just take myself a little bit less seriously I started a blog and I was quite this is my own imposter I'm very um aware that my language isn't as I don't know it's, it's like kind of flowery as other people's and I, I'm from South Derbyshire from a pit village so I speak normally I suppose um <laughs> Doing a, going back to university and doing postgraduate, I've had to learn a way of speaking and talking mm. which suits the scientific community. But I've always really enjoyed just chatting to people. So I'm learning to have a little bit more fun with my blog. I'm writing lots of interesting articles, hopefully. And, you know, I've had to get over my own imposter there to just go, do you know what? I can put my Mm. opinion out there. I can still be a scientist and be ethical and I can still be, um, you know, referencing good quality research, but I can have a bit of fun with it. So, you know, that's that's kind of where my career is at the moment is having a bit of fun with what I've learned, having big ambition to keep learning, um, Mm. but just enjoying the success of my 20 years. And and I think that's where you're at a little bit. You know, if you think about what's happened today with the BBC, what you're talking yeah. about there goes back to that analogy of, you know, your dad's business card and his number yeah. being the same. <laughs> and just that's what you do and that's what you're known for. And sometimes I think people think success comes overnight and it really does take time to build mm. things up. And maybe that's where I'm at. I'm just sitting there going, right, yeah, I did it. I did all of that (laughs) consultancy and I've got this knowledge. I can apply it in lots of different areas. And yeah, this is going to be interesting. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Where can people connect with you and and follow that journey? Um, Substack. I've got a blog called Psychologically Speaking. I do a voiceover. So if reading's not your thing, you can listen to me. Um, I do that every fortnight. And I'm over on Instagram just as Leela Ainge. And uh, yeah, you can follow me on there. I I put little posts up every now and then. I'm not prolific on social media, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) We love it and can't wait to share all these links and resources um, with folks in the show notes for sure. This has been a juicy conversation as ever. I've learned so much. 
I feel like I need to go and journal some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way, not like a, oh, but, you know, in a oh, good wait, sort of like, read wow. your next blog. <laughs> yeah, I know. You feel, oh, stay tuned on the newsletter that's making a comeback at some point, <laughs> whatever feels right for me, folks, whatever feels right. Um, thank you so much for sharing oh, your journey you. and your story and your insights with us, Leela. Um, cannot wait to see what people think like I definitely do this with every episode but literally reach out to us and let us know what resonated what blew your mind um and what was the moment where you were just like oh my goodness yes 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 all of this 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 people need to know this like we'd love to hear from you this is definitely a conversation so thank you so much Leela oh thank you Jazz it was a pleasure as always Don't forget to reach out with any gems you took away. My DMs and inbox are always open and waiting to hear. And if you liked this episode, you should probably join the crew. So sign up to the Monday Memo to get weekly messages that put you back at the center of your ambitious career. With passion-filled musings created to educate and inspire, you'll have everything you need to fuel your ambitious career this year. Go to justjazz.co forward slash join and I'll see you there.